that ethnicity and culture and citizenship, as advantageous as they may be in the present world, in particular among worldly persons, those external qualifiers have no influence, have no bearing with regards to one's spiritual condition. I'm Terry Knight, the pastor here at New Life Community Church. Thank you so much for turning us on. And I trust, as always, that the Lord's going to bless you all over the place as we fellowship together here the next several moments around the Word of God. We're going to begin a brand new teaching tonight, one that's titled Righteousness for Everyone. Now listen to this. One of the most encouraging things to me about the Word of God and the plan of God is that it involves everyone. There's no exclusive group. Now, there are a lot of religious persons that would disagree about that. That's okay. We're going to try to stick with the Scriptures and what they say and help you to understand. In particular, if you've turned on this program for the first time, stumbled upon it, maybe you have had no connection with the church, you really don't understand what the church is all about. You've just been depending on... uh, gossip or hearsay from some other persons, I want you to know and understand that the church is a group group of people who have been born anew from the inside out and have made, uh, made preparation to spend eternity with God in His heaven. That can include you, whoever you are. Now, I can make that boast Uh, gladly and with integrity tonight and it thrills me to be able to say to whoever's listening that God's plan includes you regardless of who you are. We're going to jump right on into this before I preach before I preach and I want to read for you from our text passage which is found uh, in well actually Romans chapter 10 and uh, let's read verse 3 together and then we'll jump right on into this. Romans chapter 10 verse number 3 and the record puts it this way since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Now, I trust that if you did not know and understand the righteousness of God, that you'll understand it a little bit better even as we get into this teaching on this particular session Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you so much for those that have turned us on, tuned us in. I pray by your Spirit and by your Word that you would speak to their hearts. Lord, I pray for that one that feels hopeless and helpless and left out and out of the loop. I pray that you would make it clear to that one tonight, whoever it is, man, woman, boy or girl, red, yellow, black or white, I pray that you'd make it clear to them that your plan includes them. We pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, you listen intently, shut off all the other stuff around you and just key in on this. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to get it and follow along with us. Otherwise, the, uh, the, the Scripture will appear on the screen. You can follow along with us that way. You 
stay tuned. I'll be back here at the end of the program to wrap things up. God bless. The letter to the Romans can be a tough read. In particular, when you get to chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8, it can be a tough read. The inspired letter comes forth from the pen of one that's first introduced to us, not in Romans, but seemingly out of nowhere in the opening verse of Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 and verse number 1 says this, And Saul was there. Saul was there. Our next encounter with Saul is the incredible account of his conversion to Christ. You see that in Acts chapter 9. And it is an incredible conversion. Saul's story is just absolutely fascinating, if you please. He is literally, watch this, literally transformed from the enemy of Christ and the enemy of Christ's church to a staunch advocate for both in a matter of just a few days. It's incredible. And you may know someone, you're like, man, they could never become a Christian. These, that person's just too far gone. I cannot believe the way they react toward Christians and toward the church. And you've just nearly forget, given up hope on that person. It may be a friend of yours, may be a family member. I'm here to tell you, Paul ought to put great courage in you not to give up on anybody. He was converted. He was changed. He was a different man. After his dramatic conversion, we read this in verse 19 of chapter 9, Acts chapter 9. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished, and they asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem? among those who call on his name? And the answer to that is yes. And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? And the answer, church, is yes. Verse 22, there's a yet. I love this. Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. By using the Old Covenant, the Old Testament scriptures and accountings, prove to these New Testament persons that Jesus is the Christ. That's quite a feat, by the way. Now, let me pause for just a second. You'll have to stick with me this morning. It's going to be one of those messages where we dip into history, and then I'll be back here, and we'll dip and come back and dip and come back. But I want to tell you just a little bit about Saul's pedigree. Not his pedicure, but his pedigree. Are you with me? He came forth into the world by way of a Jewish family. Is that important? Say yes. It's very important. In Philippians chapter 3 over in the New Testament, Paul describes himself this way. Circumcised the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, persecuting the church. He admitted it. As to the righteousness that is in the law, 
blameless. Boy, he was a good Israelite. Fill in number one with me on your study notes. This little Jew, this little Israelite, was actually born in Tarsus of Cilicia. That probably won't mean anything to you. You can read about that in Acts chapter 22. Somehow or another, that little Jew that was born in Tarsus of Cilicia gained a Roman citizenship. Are you with me? You with me? The little Jew gained a Roman citizenship. There's a lot of theories about how Saul's family became Roman citizens, and I did a lot of study on that, and I could dangle all that before you this morning. Suffice it to say, regardless of how that came about, and I think this is important, the book of Acts states three times that Paul did indeed possess a Roman citizenship. Now watch this, little subliminal message. That fact provided Saul the benefits of being both Jew and Gentile, in a manner of speaking. Are you with me? Make sense? Now, I'm not twisting this up. Just think about that. It allowed him to be both Jew and Gentile. And when you consider God's calling and God's purpose and God's plan for his life, it just makes sense. By the way, Saul was this guy's Jewish name. Which name? Come on, Saul was his what kind of name? It was his Jewish name. His Roman name, would you care to guess what that was? Paul. His Roman name was Paul. Acts chapter 13 and verse number 9 tells us, we're told that Saul was also called Paul. And that wasn't just a nickname, it was his Roman name. In those days, back in the day, the custom of dual names was pretty common, in particular with dual citizenship or whatever the case might be. It would just make sense for Paul to use his Roman Gentile name as he traveled farther and farther and farther into the Gentile world. You know God called him to minister among the Gentiles. One writer has put it this way, and I quote, Adopting the Roman name would allow Paul to approach the Gentiles to whom he was sent and speak to them in their own language, end quote. Also, and I find this interesting, just one of those little things that kind of serves as a speed bump for me every now and then. The, the word Paul means small or little. Small or little. A concept that Paul alluded to over and over again. One such case is found in Philippians chapter 2. Paul said this, Be humble. His instructions to the Philippians. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. That was a message that he put forth over and over and over again. In other words, think of yourself as less than others. Does that make sense to you? John the Baptist once said that he must decrease in order that the Messiah, that Jesus the Christ, might increase. Same Thought. Now, being a citizen of Rome at the time this was originally given, when it come from Paul's inspired pen, that was a pretty big deal. Everybody say it was a big deal. It was a big deal. Shake your study notes out and find number two. Fill this in with me. There were a lot of perks and privileges 
that accompanied those that were fortunate enough to live as a Roman. Not everyone was. Again, a lot of perks and privileges. Now, for you history buffs, this was uh, during the this was pre Nero time. It was actually a pretty peaceful time for uh, the 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 movement of Rome, whatever you want to call it, the nation of Rome, and it was a pretty wealthy time, materially speaking. A lot of perks and privileges. Does that sound like another country that you might know about in the modern era? Rome during that time was very similar in comparison to those of us that are born into this present world as an American. A lot of perks and privileges that come along with that. Amen? It, it is. And you just look at some other countries or visit some other country for a while and you will soon understand why people continue to risk life and limb to set foot on our soil. Now, regardless of your politics, uh, I would think as a follower of Christ, as anybody that has any compassion at all, when you watch youngins trying to swim across a river to get into this country and they go down and they drown, Oh my goodness, that should grip your heartstrings that a human being has to be that way. But the, one of the reasons they do is they really believe there's some hope here. There's some perks, there's some privileges here. And well, there are. Listen to this. As odd as it sounds, look at your neighbor and say, he's about to say something odd. Oh yeah, as odd as it sounds, those who are born into privilege, regardless of the nature of that privilege. Those ones have to be very, very careful that they do not allow for that privilege to become a spiritual impediment to them. Did you catch that? Let me do that again. New Life Instant Replay. Those who are born into privilege, regardless of what that privilege is, those persons have to be very careful that they do not allow for that privilege to become a spiritual impediment for them or to them. See if I can unpack that a little bit. Being allowed certain freedoms and legal privileges as a birthright can serve to can serve to lure persons into a sense of false spiritual security. I'm, I'm going to talk slow and pause a lot for the next few minutes. I want you to catch this. Another way of saying that is, since I have these rights and these privileges that other persons from other countries and cultures do not have, then this must naturally transfer over to and positively affect my standing or my status before God. You see how easy it is to think that? Well, Paul is putting forth, to, first of all, to his fellow Israelites, to his fellow Jews, and also to his fellow Romans, those Gentiles, that ethnicity and culture and citizenship 
as advantageous as they may be in the present world, in particular among worldly persons, those external qualifiers have no influence, have no bearing with regards to one's spiritual condition or standing before God. Now, some will amen that. A lot of you will have to process that. Some of you just boogered up at that. Listen, what I just said is a difficult concept for religionists of every stripe to swallow. And you know, here we believe and we've taught and we've preached to you so many times the difference between religion, which is external and man-made, and the difference between what we do, Christianity following after Christ. Uh, following after Christ is God's work, and it's internal, it's not external. There will be some external manifesta manifestations once the internal is taken care of. But where does it start, church? Starts in the heart. Paul has talked about that Time and time again, pardon my misspeaks. It's a difficult concept for religionists of every stripe to swallow. Now listen, watch this. Case in point. This has been true ever since the time of Cain and Abel. You remember those two goomers? You know, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Ever since Cain and Abel. Number three on your study notes. Mankind, as represented by Cain, have from the outset purposed to put forth some thing other than the thing God has purposed and prescribed. One of the key emphasis of our text passage, Romans chapter 10, highlights this dilemma. Let me see if I can lay it out for you. Paul's fellow citizens, the Israelites specifically, were ostensibly, that is on the surface, they were depending upon, watch this, they were depending upon their endowment of the Mosaic law as a stamp of approval from God. You know, we the man, because God entrusted our people with His law. And they were depending upon that. They pretty much, a lot of them, beloved, would uh, consider themselves keepers of the law, not in the sense of obeying the law or adhering to the law, but uh, you can read that like they were owners of the law. You understand the difference between being the owner of something and actually living out what it is, being the owner of some truth, holding some truth, and actually living that truth out? Do you? If you didn't understand, maybe I know where this message is coming from this morning. I trust that you will uh, begin to understand that. Now, worse still, these Israelites were relying on their own righteousness to put them in a right relationship with God. Their own righteousness, not just the law and their possession of the law, but their own righteousness. I'll try to flesh that out here in the next few moments. Here's what Paul writes about that. Look at verse 2 again of our text passage. Chapter 10, latter part of verse 2. Paul says, they are zealous for God. You know anybody that's zealous for God? I tell you, we live in a day and age where I, I just pray for people to be zealous for God. 
Let me show you. I want to act out for you the average church person today. <sighs> beep, 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 beep. <laughs> beep, 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 beep. Don't you just wish they'd get a little zeal about them? Don't you just wish every now and then they'd lift their hands and praise the Lord? Don't you just wish every now and then they would sing out the praises of God? Don't you just wish every now and then you hear them say, you won't believe what I read in the Bible this week, or you won't believe the way God moved in prayer in my life this week. I can't wait to tell my neighbor. Well, Paul said these Romans were zealous for God, but, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Hmm. How so? He goes on to tell us in verse 3. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God, the plan of God, and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness, God's plan. They were zealous after their own plan. They did not know the righteousness that comes from God. How in the world could this be? Really? Paul is addressing people, his own people. First of all, the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Israel, the people of promise, the people that had been entrusted with the law. How is it that, that now they did not know the righteousness that comes from God? How is it that they failed to know the righteousness of God? It's perplexing to me. Fill in number four with me on your study notes. I'm going to try to answer what I've just laid out before you this way. Don't go to sleep or you'll miss this. Upon the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, and the ascension of Christ. That's the gospel. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. When that happened, beloved, the, the death, burial, resurrection of Christ Jesus, something changed. Something changed. What is it, Pastor Terry? I'm going to try to help you understand that. Before the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, one's connection with, where, whether it was an Israelite or a proselyte to uh, Judaism, one's connection with God was based upon God's covenant promise to Abraham. Are you with me? And you see, the Israelites were right about that, to make that boast. In effect, if you were one of these descendants... You were physically under this covenant or under this promise. However, there is a however. Can I see your eyeballs? There is a however. I want you to remember this. Even so, the promise of blessing to Israel, the promise of provision to Israel, it was not without conditions. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 
summarizes this nicely. Listen to this with me. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 10. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then, when you eat and are satisfied, look at verse 12. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord. Are you living carefully? Are you living carefully? Carefully, day to day, moment by moment. Consider with me. Beloved, let me put something before you that we said here just a few moments ago, perhaps in the middle of the teaching. There are so many that have tried to put forth something other than the thing that will connect them to God. God's plan is clearly outlined in the Bible. The Bible's an important document. It's not just a book. It is the Word of God. It doesn't just contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. And it's within that Word that we know and understand God's plan. Isn't that cool? I think that's the spiffiest thing ever, that God come up with a plan for every generation that would remain consistent, and we have it today. There are copies from way, way back, and we have them today. Many of you, most of you, I would say, I have a copy of the Word of God within reach. Certainly, if not a hard copy, in book form, you have it uh, through some kind of app or so on and so forth. If you do not have a Bible, I encourage you to give us a call. We'll get you one, and I'm not kidding. Free won't cost you a thing. We'll get it to you. Or perhaps if you don't want to go that route, find a Bible app. And that's not ideal. I'd prefer the book form, but many people do prefer the app. The important thing is that you are able to know and understand and get the Word of God in you. Let me reemphasize to you without going back into this whole message again. God's plan includes you. And I want you to understand that. It's imperative that you understand that whoever you are, wherever you're from, wherever you may be listening to this from, by whatever means, God's plan includes you. The Bible teaches that we must be born again, born anew of the Spirit. Not a physical birth, but a spiritual birth. It's really not that complicated. It's really not that hard to understand if you'd slow down and stop and think about it. It's that spiritual birth that makes us a fit candidate for God's heaven. Can you be encouraged to read the Word? Find the Bible, read the Word. I encourage a novice, and by that I simply mean those who haven't read the Word, or even some who have, to begin with the book of John, the New Testament book of John. It lays out very clearly God's purpose and plan, and helps us to know and understand who Jesus is. Be encouraged to start there. New Life Community Church has a regular schedule of activities Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. The messages that you hear are taped live on Sunday morning, these teachings on New Life Telecast. 
We also have midweek activities Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock. Something for all the family. Uh, KFC, Kids for Christ, New Life Youth, and adult small groups meet on Wednesday night. We'd love to have you come out and be a part of any and all of these activities. Well, my time's gone. I thank you so much for being with us. I trust you're going to have a great week, what's left of it. I am Terry Knight, the pastor of New Life Community Church. Beloved, I want to remind you that Jesus is coming back. Is He coming back for you? Mm -hmm.